0: This program is made possible by the financial support of listeners just like you. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Majority Report, The Bugle, The Young Turks, The Progressive, Comedian Lee Camp, Mumia Abu-Jamal, and The Rachel Maddow Show with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Young Turks.
1: This uh, interview with GONU performed by uh, CNN's Ivan Watson. Apparently it ra- ran on Parker Spitzer last night. Watson at one point asked him, were you deliberately hiding your identity? Yeah, of course, of course, not just for the safety, uh, because this is not about me. I don't want this to be about me, but in reality, this is not about me, and because I don't want to be the face of this. One of the things that the regime would do is just burn my face, and that's it. These guys made the plan. Who are we meeting? How are we going to surprise them? The plan was really smart, I have to say. Those who are experts said we are going to go into rural areas and we're going to talk about demands that connect with people's lives, and we truly believe in these demands, like the minimum wage, like talking about the end of unemployment, reducing unemployment, or at least giving people some sort of compensation to make a living. He says, um, I don't agree with the Muslim Brotherhood movement. I don't agree with their ideologies. But whoever these are, they are Egyptians. These are good Egyptians. They participated. would say 10 to 15% of the people are there. They are, are just like Egyptians. They are honest and nice. They are not as bad as evil as they are trying to tell us. Here is him talking about the uh, the Internet aspect of this revolution. This is clip number one.
2: Did you plan a revolution? Yeah, with it. What was the plan? Um, the plan was to uh, uh, to get everyone in the street. Number one is that we're going to start from you know uh, poor areas. Uh, our Our demands are going to be all about what touches people's daily life.
3: There's been a lot of speculation about Muslim Brotherhood being involved in this uprising. How would you describe? yourself, and your friends, who helped mobilize for the first protests on January
2: 25th. Muslim Brotherhood was not involved at all in the organization of this. Muslim Brotherhood announced that they're not going to participate officially. Um, and they said if the young guys want to join, if their young guys want to join, they're not going to tell them no. If you want to free a society, just give them Internet access. Because people are going to, you know, the young crowds are going are to all go out and see and, and hear the unbiased media, see the truth about, you know, other nations and their own nation, and they're going to be able to communicate and collaborate together. Was this an Internet revolution? Definitely, this is the Internet revolution. Um, uh Um, I'll I'll call it Revolution 2.0.
1: Maybe not the best way to brand it, 2.0. Harkens back to But uh, be that as it may, I mean, this, this guy was in the midst of it. And, uh... With the notion of the Muslim Brotherhood being one of these specters that people are concerned about, and we've talked about this, uh, there is reason for concern, but uh, there was a poll that just was reported in the Washington Post by Adam Serwer, uh, commissioned by the Washington Institute on Near East Policy, suggests that the Muslim Brotherhood isn't anywhere near as popular as either Mubarak or paranoid conservatives believe them to be. This is not a uh, uh, Islamic uprising, says the, uh, the poll's top line. The Muslim Brotherhood is approved by just 15%, and its leaders get barely 1% in a presidential straw vote. As to pick, uh, pick national priorities, 12% chose Sharia over national power, democracy, or economic development. And and frankly, uh, I think that if we were to take a poll in this country as to how many people want fundamentalist Christian control over our government, we would see a number higher than 12%. Asked to pick national priorities, Um, asked to explain the uprising, economic conditions, corruption, and unemployment, received 30 to 40% each. They far outpace regime not Islamic enough which is only at 7%, surprisingly, asked two different ways about the peace treaty with Israel. More support it, 37%, than oppose it, 22%. Only 18% approve of either Hamas or Iran. And a mere 5% say the uprising occurred because the regime is too pro-Israel. Now, that uh, issue of Hamas or Iran is relevant because Egyptian uh, Muslims are uh, predominantly Sunni. Iran is Shiite. But Hamas is predominantly Sunni. almost to- I think totally Sunni. Uh, so, you know, one can never be sure about a poll like this, but uh, there may not be as much to fear. And when you hear from this guy, this kid, uh, clearly he is in no way representative of anything other than a tremendous amount of Western values. Here's uh, clip number two where he explains uh, how this thing has
2: progressed. I just posted it on Twitter yesterday. This is no longer the time to negotiate, unfortunately. Um, we, we went on the street on 25th, and uh, we wanted to negotiate. We wanted to talk to our government. We were, you know, knocking the door. Um, they decided to negotiate with us at night with uh, rubber bullets, uh, with uh, police uh, police sticks, with, uh, with, you know, water hoses, um, with tear gas tanks uh... and with arresting about five hundred people of us uh... thanks you know we got the message now when we escalated this and it became really big they started listening to us
1: and, uh, again, uh, as I speak, there are reports that Mubarak will speak tonight. It's not clear. There were some reports that he had gone to Sharm el-Sheikh. He may be there now with uh, his top general. There are so many cl- conflicting reports at this point that I- it's hard to say. Uh, but what is clear is that these protesters are not going to stop. And uh, what is not clear is what's going to happen on the other side of this here is just a sense and this was uh, this is a long clip but it is um, it really gives you a sense of of, of the of the of the cross-section of people in Egypt who are uprising and uh, this is uh, this is a very moving part of this interview uh, that was on CNN let's play this clip number three
2: you arrest. Do you think it was just a coincidence, a, a sweep of the streets, or do you think you were targeted? Uh, no, I was targeted. Of course, they wanted me. What was going through your mind at that moment? I was super scared. You were blindfolded. Yeah, blindfolded. Of course. For the whole time. Yeah, of course. Today, I was giving the complete power of attorney to my wife, all everything I own, my bank accounts, everything, because I'm ready to die. And um, there are tons of thousands of people there, ready to you die for
3: attorney to your wife because you. You think he may
2: die? Yeah, of course. They gave us a lot of promises about, you know, gradual change and so on. But then going back to the interview that uh, Omar Suleiman did uh, uh, a couple of days ago, he said that Egyptians are not ready for democracy now. What uh, do you think of that? Um, so I think this is this is actually our real problem with the regime. Just the fact that you know you get some few people to decide that they are of a better you know uh, uh, of a better position to z- to decide for a nation and then um use you know media to brainwash people uh, use uh, uh, the baseball bat to hit those who are you know who decide that they want to say no. do you feel any responsibility to who... no no i I am sorry, but I don't f- you know I am sorry for their loss I, you know I can't forgive these people' photos I still remember them. This could have been have been me or my brother, and they were killed. They were killed, as if they, you know, you know, if these people died in a war, that's fair and square. You know, you hold you hold the weapon, and you know, someone is shooting, you know, and and you died. But no, none of them. And those people who were killed were not, you know, were not like they did not look like they are. They did not really look like you know they're gonna attack anyone. They were just shooting them. They were shooting them a lot of, you know, a lot of the times the people were, you know, stand on, you know, the policemen would stand on the bridge and shoot people down. This is a crime. This president need to step down because this is a crime. And I, I, I'm telling you, I am ready to die. I have a lot to lose in this life. I, you know, I, I, I work or, you know, now I'm as, a, as an, I'm on a leave of absence, I work in the best company to work for in the world. I had the best wife and I, have, I, have, I love my kids. But I'm willing to lose all of that for my dream to happen. And no one is going to go against our desire. No one. And I'm telling this to Omar Sulaiman. He is going to watch this. You are not going to stop us. Kidnap me. Kidnap all my colleagues. Put us in jail. Kill us. Do whatever you want to do. We are getting back our country. You guys have been ruining this country for 30 years! Enough! Enough! Enough!
4: week they sphinx it's all over <laughs> it is now or maybe it isn't. Is it? Hold on, what the fuck is happening in Egypt? <laughs> and the Egypt has long been seen as a centre of stability in a volatile region, but it turns out that anyone can seem stable when their feet are nailed to the floor. <laughs> in fact, when your feet are nailed to the floor, stability is often the least of your many concerns. And Things have been happening very quickly in Egypt, not just over the last 48 hours, but even this morning. In that 45 minutes ago, Mubarak was technically still in power, and now as we talk, he's gone. In fact, he, he left while you were on the train to the Bugle, Is that yeah, not true. I
5: that's know. right, I've got some you know, already out-of-date jokes about President Mubarak that were written while I was having my lunch. <laughs>
4: It really has been an amazing couple of days. Protests continued in Egypt all week, culminating in spectacular scenes on Thursday when, after rumours all day that Mubarak was about to stand down, millions of people gathered together in Tahrir Square and President Mubarak showed that he still has the magic touch and that he managed to somehow make a group of unbelievably angry people somehow even angrier than they already were. (laughs) What had happened was that Leon Panetta head of the CIA, let it slip Thursday morning that Mubarak was going to be resigning that night after indications from the military that they were about to take over power in Cairo. Mubarak then announced he was going to go on TV in Egypt later that evening, and everyone presumed that this was going to be the announcement that all the protesters have been waiting for. Everyone presumed that not even Mubarak would have the bare-faced balls to go in front of a crowd on the brink of revolution, having seemingly completely lost the faith of his country, the international community, and even his military, and just announced that he was staying. But he somehow conspired to handle the situation in the worst possible way, keeping people hanging around for nearly an hour before delivering a decision that essentially flipped the bird at his entire country. And in doing so, he really pulled what is now known as a full LeBron James. It was... It was like he gathered his entire country around televisions for a dictatorial version of ESPN's The Decision, (laughs) ending by saying, "Okay, here it is. I'm going to take my talents right back to my office where I'm going to still be president. You can all go f*** yourselves.
5: (laughs) Ah!" I mean, uh, John, I mean, you and I, we have both seriously let down some live audiences in our time. No um, doubt. (laughs) But I'm not sure I've ever had a reaction quite like that. Um... Maybe a gig I did in Killarney in Ireland once, but I think that was more to with people wanting the disco to start than uh, anything particularly personal about me. But Mubarak, um, it was almost like he deliberately tanked the gig, didn't I? I mean, he was just, it, it, was, it was extraordinary. The world, the entire world was watching. The crowds uh, in Cairo and across Egypt were seething with febrile excitements. Barely contained preemptive euphoria about the successful culmination of an extraordinary popular uprising. History was in the baking, and the time was about to go ping to tell everyone it was ready. You could cut the atmosphere with a Vegemite sandwich. This was a landmark moment in modern democracy being played out to the entire planet. Seismic social change, live and uninterrupted from Cairo. And then on came Mubarak with his people demanding change, a new beginning, an end to the old order. And he promised them a full report into what had happened. <laughs> Which, you know, maybe you'd have thought the crowd would have responded saying, well, it's not, it's not entirely what we asked for, but, you know, it's better than a kebab skewer in the eye, isn't it? Uh, I think there's, there's another possible interpretation of this, John, and that is that, um, uh, what happened yesterday was that the broadcast cut out early from Mubarak. Uh, just before he said, nah, just kidding, I'm off. Uh... Yeah, I can't, I can't ignore all this. See ya. Top protesting there, uh, chaps and chappers. says, well done, you've tucked me up like a sardine, and a, if you need me, I'll be in Charmel shake, wearing Bermuda shorts and chatting up foreign chicks.
4: A member of the M- Muslim Brotherhood uh, even said, this smells like a military coup. <laughs> and, yeah, that is a potent smell, Andy. If it was a perfume, it would have base notes of tear gas, tinges <laughs> of butterscotch, and a faint whiff of tank exhaust.
5: Also, my yeah. favourite Nirvana song, as well.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's a heady bouquet. <laughs> and in the face of all of this... Mubarak conspired to deliver a speech that was, to review it in the mildest possible terms, spectacularly misjudged. (laughs) It really is impossible to overstate just how unexpected the content of Mubarak's speech on Thursday was. It took everyone by surprise, the media, the protesters, and the entire world. President Obama said earlier in the morning that this is a moment of transformation evoking images of Mubarak making mechanical noises, turning into a robot, then turning into a haulage truck with wings, and then just flying away. (laughs) And the Egyptian military had said that it is ready to respond to the legitimate demands of the people. The mood of protesters in Tahrir Square was incredibly festive. Uh, An Egyptian journalist tweeted, I'm in Tahrir Square. Mood is beyond euphoric. Saw a conga line chanting, (laughs) Hosni's leaving tonight. And... Well, on a side note, Andy, it's good to see that the Conga transcends national lines. It is the international language of jubilation, the Conga. And I wonder what place the Conga has had throughout history at times when there were not cameras there to record its impact. When Jesus was crucified, were there Romans underneath the cross, <laughs> Congering through the crowd? And <laughs> that <laughs> Things first started Well, no wonder
5: they did forgiveness. They, they know not what they did. They were just <laughs> hammered. Just you know, absolutely hammered.
4: Things first started looking suspicious when there was a substantial delay to the broadcast of Mubarak's speech. It was due to start at eight PM. But by eleven minutes past eight, Egyptian State T V was broadcasting a global weather forecast. <laughs> that was that was definitely not what people were tuning in for. But I like the idea that it was just a determined steely weatherman saying, Hold on. People expect to hear the weather from me at eleven minutes past the hour every hour. And nothing is gonna stop me <laughs> delivering that weather to the people. Not you, not the bosses of this station, and not the millions of protesters outside calling for revolution. To them I simply say this wrap up warm as there's a cold front coming in from the east. <laughs> That's right. I read the fing weather. It's what I fing do. Now here's Becky with the news in your area. <laughs> Then, at 21 minutes past 8, Mubarak was still not on state TV, and instead they started showing a promo film for Egypt. (laughs) Basically a tourism video. Quite an odd time to advertise yourself as a holiday destination when your country is on the brink of political collapse. (laughs) The the video showed images of hard-working people, modern businesses, tourist sites and sporting achievements. Now, that actually was very wise, Andy. Try to distract people <laughs> with sport. It's, the hu- it's humanity's Achilles heel. <laughs> the BBC's Cairo correspondent even described the atmosphere uh, in Tahrir Square as saying, it's a bit like a rock concert before the band comes on stage. But what it turned out to be <laughs> was if the band had come on stage, refused to play any of the hits that the crowd explicitly wanted to hear, and instead started urinating on the front row. <laughs>
5: Or if, if the band that the crowd had been expecting was Megadeth, and what they instead got was Karen Carpenter. <laughs> but Obama had said earlier in the day, he said, we are uh, witnessing history unfold. And as we watched Mubarak's speech, you're now thinking that um, often what happens when you unfold something to witness it, it's like when you unfold a handkerchief, you end up looking at some pretty unsavoury-looking mucus. And <laughs> well, that is essentially what happened with uh, Mubarak's speech. She did say some extraordinary things, um, <laughs> including... Uh, so, um, but he starts to things, so he started off by describing his speech as a father's dialogue with his sons and daughters, and that is certainly one paternity case that is being hotly disputed, <laughs> and, uh, really a style of parenting that seems to have wound people up. I mean, it is always difficult, John, isn't it, for a, for a father to accept that his kids have grown up and want to live their own lives now, and don't really want him in their lives anymore, and, uh, you know, and, you know, any, every parent... go through that phase at some point when their children can no longer be repressed by the machinery of government. And uh, I guess Egypt just has reached that point. He also said, um, I'm telling you that heeding to your voice, your message and demands is an irretraceable commitment. It did sound at that point that there was a but coming up. And it it was a big old but. Um, And then he said this sort of thing, which uh, is one of my favourite pieces of rhetoric of the modern era. He said this was really a bit like uh, a modern-day Martin Luther King, but more so. He said, In response to the proposals in the committee's report, and in compliance with the prerogatives of the President of the Republic, in conformity with Article 189 of the Constitution, I have submitted a request today asking for the amendment of six constitutional clauses, 76, (laughs) 77, 88, 93 and 189, in addition to the annulment of Clause 179. Inspiring stuff, John, at which upon a single shout went up into rear square. BINGO! <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd started chanting, What do we want? Amended constitutional clauses! When do we want them? Sometime in the next few months, please! <laughs> it's
4: tr- as soon as Mubarak started talking, it became clear that something was up. In fact, the crowd started getting restless as soon as he started talking about how great he was. He said, I was a young man as well when I joined the military and pledged to the nation and sacrificed to the nation. I spent my life defending Egypt's life and serenity. The best days of my life were when I raised the flag of Egypt over the Sinai and when I flew planes in Addis Ababa. There was no day when I was affected or when I gave in to foreign pressure. And it became clear he had all the humility of a West Coast rapper. (laughs) (laughs) And I started
5: to watch... Was he he grabbing his balls at the time?
4: (laughs) He was. (laughs) And he was flanked with women in (laughs) bikinis. And I started to watch the crowd... Turned from jubilation to anger, many waving their shoes in the air in disgust. I wondered, has a speech ever gone down worse to a crowd? But given his clear inability to gauge the mood of his country, maybe he thought he'd done a great job. Oh, look, they're waving their shoes at me. They must have loved it. (laughs) Uh, Mr. President, waving the soles of your shoes at someone is the greatest imaginable sign of disrespect. Ah, nonsense. What they're trying to say is, look... Even though I have only two shoes, I'm willing to offer you one of them. Such is my devotion. I will happily hop home, so happy am I, by what you've just said. <laughs> uh, okay, Mr. President. I think I'm just gonna pop home, pack my belongings, and check that my family are alive. <laughs>
5: I mean, it just show how much they loved him, John, because, you know, he thought, you know, that's even going beyond throwing your underwear at someone, isn't it? Throwing, uh, throwing your shoes Hello. at someone, because, you know, you can get, get home without underwear, but you're going to have to hobble home with only one shoe. Um, he said uh, some other things. He said, basically, said, it's not about me. That's classic breakup talk, as well. Um, he, also, he said, I never sought fake popularity. And it uh, would appear that he's achieved that um, <laughs> quite conclusively. <laughs> And he also said, that, I trust that the overwhelming majority of the people know who Hosni Mubarak is. <laughs> and I mean, that's not really the point at issue, is it? Um, yeah. I mean, they certainly seem to be chanting his name. It was what they yep. were saying after that that was the problem. That's right. Obama said this will be a day of transformation and history will be unfolded. And, uh... course it didn't actually happen that way, Uh, well it was a day early, but to be fair to him he always says that. Every single day at breakfast he says this will be a day of transformation and history will be unfolded. And it's just a habit he got into during the 2008 election campaign and he's just (laughs) never quite managed to shake it.
4: But I've got to say, Andy, through all this, you have got to hand it to Hosni, because he managed to find a new way to handle imminent defeat. How do you leave as a dictator? It's a key decision to make, and there's no right answer offered by history. Do you go the Nicholas II route and uh, get killed in a basement with your entire family? Do you go the Tunisian route and head for Euro Disney whilst making a pit (laughs) stop at a bank to withdraw millions of dollars' worth of gold bullion? (laughs) Or do you go the way of Hitler? holding herself up in a bunker, refusing to accept reality, and then eventually going through numerous cosmetic surgeries and living out the rest of your life as Shirley Bassey. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Hosni! <laughs> <laughs> She's still got a home in Argentina, do you know?
4: <laughs> Hosni has rewritten the rule books. Now you can pull a Hosni and basically fake that you're about to leave before essentially blue-balling millions of protesters who are ready to celebrate your fall, then doing another couple of step-overs and leave the next day when no-one expects you to. <laughs> <laughs>
5: well, it's brilliant flawless. I mean, it's... Yeah, uh, you know, of course, you know, he is, he is well-known. as He's, to me... The Hosni Mubarak is the uh, Egyptian celebrity best known uh, as the author of the classic 1990 bestseller Morkif al-Mufakirin al-Mizriin min Asma al-Khalij Mubarak wa al-Damir al-Misri al-Asma al-Mu'ajaha al-Hal And oh, that was a real pot-boiler, John. That was something. I it was an absolute page-turner. I read it in pretty much one sitting. So many plot twists. Kept me getting the whole way. And surprisingly saucy, too. But... Um, <laughs> I mean, yesterday he was giving it the, uh, very much the talk to the army because the president ain't listening line. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But he has now handed over, he's, he's gone, he's handed over power to his vice president, Omar Suleiman, who is, wait for it, the former head of the intelligence services. <laughs> that sets alarm bells ringing, John. I don't know if that is what the crowd wanted. I mean, if you look back through history, former heads of intelligence services... Well, they tend to be pretty sound guys who do everything by the book, will stop at nothing to help ordinary people express their opinions, and go to bed at night dreaming of nothing but free and fair elections. But uh, that's who they've got, so I'll be interested to see uh, how it pans out. I think we can, uh, looking back now, summarise the entire dialogue uh, between the people of Egypt and uh, their president, Little Hosni, uh, as uh, basically like this. People of Egypt, f*** off. <laughs> Mubarak, f*** off. <laughs> people of Egypt, f*** off. Mubarak. Off. People of Egypt, <laughs> f off! <laughs> Mubarak, f off. People of Egypt, f
4: off! F off! F off! F off! Mubarak, f you!
5: F you! Ah. People of Egypt, ah, oh, f off! Mubarak, oh, f it! People of Egypt,
4: f you! Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Andy, it's been so hard to sum up what's (laughs) happened over the last 17 days because it's it's moved so quickly and it's been so unstable and I think you've done it. I think you've done what 24-hour news networks have been struggling with, (laughs) I think you just did it.
5: That's right. Well, a simple, kind of condensed version of history. It's a good job I've got no social plans for the next three (laughs) days of all that.
4: (laughs) Guess you better warm that bleeper finger up, Chris.
6: <laughs>
0: Audible, an Amazon company, may have 85,000 audiobooks, but they don't have my favorite book of all time, The Solitaire Mystery by Yostine Garter. It's out of print, hard to come by, and the audio version only comes on cassette tapes. So you could go to audiblepodcast.com slash best to get a free audiobook of your choice, and I'm not saying you won't find anything worth reading. I'm just saying you'll have to settle for one of the 85,000 books that doesn't contain the most fun and insightful story I've ever read. That's audiblepodcast.com slash best to be only minorly disappointed by the selection of audiobooks available.
3: Inspired by Egypt, tens of thousands of demonstrators took to the streets in Tehran and other Iranian cities, forcing a swift and bloody backlash from their government. Unfortunately, police and riot gear attacked protesters with tear gas and beatings. Witnesses say police forces fired bullets at the people in the crowd. At least one demonstrator was killed by the violence. Iranian security forces also cut the phone lines and reportedly blocked the internet. To try and crush the protests. Now there are two different ideas on how to encourage the box in Iran. One is, of course, the Egyptian model, where you go and organize online. While Gonim, the Google employee who was instrumental in getting the protests in Egypt started, has said, quote, if you want to liberate a government, give them the internet. I, it's impossible for me to agree more with that. That is obviously what worked in Egypt, and it was nonviolent. It happened in 18 days. Now you compare that with the Iraq model, where we bomb, 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 and what happened? Disaster. How can anybody argue with that? But look, let's lay it out for you. Gohm says here are the uh, the tools that you should use: Facebook, Twitter, and the blogs. Right? John Bolton, who is our former UN ambassador, uh, of course, a well-known neocon. Has said on numerous occasions, the correct way to do it is bombs, bombs, and bombs. Of course, the answer is obvious. Look at Egypt. Look at Iraq. But luckily, it looks like the U.S. government has gone with the Gornium strategy. We've even started tweeting in tweeting in Farsi to reach the Iranian audience. Here is a tweet that we sent out in Farsi don't worry i'm not going to read it to you in four c otherwise you wouldn't understand it it says u s calls on iran to allow people to enjoy same universal rights to peacefully assemble demonstrate as in cairo clearly going with the egyptian model that's exactly right Then secretary of state clinton was also very clear on preferring the egyptian model
7: what we see happening in iran today is a testament to the courage of the iranian people and an indictment of the hypocrisy of the iranian regime A regime which, over the last three weeks, has constantly hailed what went on in Egypt. And now, when given the opportunity to afford their people the same rights as they called for on behalf of the Egyptian people, once again, illustrate their true nature.
3: All right, go get them. Let's point out the hypocrisy of the Iranian government. Let's give the people the tools to be able to organize, and then they do whatever they do. Then that's not up to us; it's in their hands. Now, unfortunately, that was the good news. The bad news is, in President Obama's budget that was just unveiled today, they cut 1.84 billion dollars from the Economic Support Fund, which helps countries move toward democracy. Oops, I wouldn't have gone in that direction. But look, let me tell you the final thing on why this can work in egypt the population is 80 million. right sixty percent are under thirty in iran the population is seventy six million very similar sixty six percent are under the age of thirty which means just like in egypt we've got the young they're online that's why iran cut the internet because they're scared to death of the internet we can reach the young in iran they can do the same thing as they did in egypt but some neocons in this country think bombing is the better strategy which is clearly mental
8: It sure is thrilling to be alive when history comes alive. Egypt is free, Mubarak has fled, the people have won. This is the most momentous day since the fall of the Soviet Union and the freeing of Nelson Mandela. And let's just stop for a moment and lay out the lessons. First and foremost, this shows that massive nonviolent protest really works. The demonstrators didn't get their way by the force of the gun, but by the force of their moral stance. This is the lesson that Gandhi taught us. This is the lesson that Martin Luther King taught us. Second, even the most repressive governments and the toughest security forces can't withstand the united rebellion of their people. This is the lesson Howard Zinn taught us. Third, this glorious revolution repudiates the bigoted notions that Muslims are somehow intrinsically more violent than followers of any other religion, or that Arab peoples are somehow not Ready for democracy. And fourth, as usual, the U.S. government was caught flat footed and responded haltingly and embarrassingly, especially at first, but even to the end. That's how it usually goes with the U.S. empire. We stand behind our brutal dictators until the last moment when the people rise up and make it impossible to defend those brutal rulers any longer. Today is a day to rejoice. Here's to nonviolent resistance. Here's to the Egyptian people.
9: See? The Egyptian protests has made me realize all the more how such a thing could never happen in the United States. The protest, if it were in the US, would have lasted about eight hours max before someone realized they were missing glee. And everyone would rush home in case their TiVo wasn't set correctly. And if that didn't get them, they'd have to leave because they they, they have work tomorrow, and it's a very important day because we're getting a shipment of a hundred widgets for the convention in Providence, Rhode Island, and you know the convention is happening, political revolt or no political revolt. I mean, those Egyptians have been in that square chanting for freedom for the past three weeks. How many Americans can go that long without a mani petty or a yoga class or without a fucking latte? And you might be thinking, well, they could have lattes shipped into the protest area. But No. That's the problem with lattes. They tend to get knocked over during violent revolutions. History has proven me correct on that point. Seriously, the logistics would be a nightmare in the U.S. Just in just in terms of, of going to the bathroom, I doubt most Americans are going to go in a field so you'd have to have, you know, porta-potties and all the women would be bitching anyway. Oh, it's so gross in there! I, I'm not going back in there until... The, I'm just going to hold it until the, the new regime comes into power. I am. I'm just going to hold it. Not to mention it's likely the pro-government militias would probably just knock over the porta-potties. So what then? I was at Obama's inauguration and there were hundreds of thousands of people there and even though it was supposed to be a festive occasion I saw three people die from corndog deprivation that day alone. I saw a girl give up her spot and go home because the guy standing next to her smelled like cigarettes. Something tells me that girl isn't going to hold the line when the tear gas and grenades start flying. And the most important reason Americans could never occupy Washington D.C. to enact change because they couldn't update their Facebook status. Good luck charging your phone in the middle of a field. Unless your phone runs on disaffected youth power, I think you're screwed. I don't think Steve Jobs has come up with that one yet. And in the U.S., if you can't update your Facebook status about what's currently happening to you, then it never really happened. If you don't type enjoying nature on Twitter while you're looking over the Grand Canyon, then it's like a tree falling in the woods with nobody there to hear it. It doesn't actually. Actually happened. Without a Facebook or Twitter update, it's not real life to most people in the U.S. But seriously, America, pay attention. Egypt's showing you how to care.
3: You've been seeing pictures of revolution on your TV screens for some days now. It's an amazing phenomenon unfolding right before our eyes. It started in Tunisia, then spread to Egypt, then Yemen. Now the King of Jordan has fired his cabinet. Groups in Syria are organizing online for a protest this Friday. And China is blocking the word Egypt from the internet for fear that the revolution against tyranny will spread to their shores. This is the revolution we were promised. When people talked about open government and free flow of information leading to democracy, this is what they were talking about. The internet revolution was a turn of phrase that referred to a new age in information. But now that phrase has become literal. Why are these democratic protests spreading like wildfire throughout the world? because people are getting information about them through Facebook, Twitter, blogs and websites. Before an oppressive state could shut down television stations or radio outlets in their country and there would be an information blackout. Now they can't stop the information from flowing in. Even if they shut down Twitter, Google comes up with a new application where you can call in your tweets from your cell phone. This is pamphlet pamphleteering on steroids. No matter where the authoritarian governments put up roadblocks, the information pours in anyway. And that information is power. This is the democratic movement we were promised. Let's embrace it.
4: If I was president, I'd get elected on Friday. Assassinated on Saturday. Buried on Sunday. If I was president, if I was president.
0: Hey, David Packman here, host of The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you're like me, you're a regular listener of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I invite you to check out my show, The David Pakman Show. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll also hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists around. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out DavidPakman.com, check out our show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of The David Pakman Show, all at DavidPakman.com.
1: The Wall Street Journal reports that the protest, the first protest that uh, started in the slum of Boulaq Al Ducour, on Cairo's western edge, was not consisting of educated youth who learned about protests on the Internet. They were instead poor residents who filled a maze of muddy, narrow alleyways, massed in front of a neighborhood candy store, which caught security forces completely flat-footed. Because the way in the past that these uh, protests have always been uh, stopped is the security forces get word that something's happening. They, they, they get there before the protesters get there, and they quash it, and they coordinate it off, and they stop it right there, and that's it, boom. And uh, I've got a great story about, and in some respects it's called kettling. And there's a great story that there is an organization in Britain of youth Internet guys who have figured out how to defeat kettling Uh, they actually have some type of program and some type of uh, uh, system. And uh, it was a story in the Toronto Star. I still have that, and I'll read it uh, in the coming days. And uh, so while Gonim recounted his meeting with Egypt's newly appointed uh, interior minister, and the the interior minister, the chief spy, internal spy, said, no one understood how you did it. According to Wall Street Journal, the plotters who formed the leadership core of the revolutionary youth movement In January, they decided that they would try to replicate the accomplishments of the uh, the protesters in Tunisia who ousted President uh, Zine al-Abidin Ben Ali. Their immediate concern was how to foil the Ministry of the Interior. These are the uh, sort of secret police. One of the architects, a 41-year-old Basim Kamel, said, we had to find a way to prevent security from making their cordon and stopping us. They met daily for two weeks in the cramped living room of the mother of Zaid Al-Alimi. alimi Alimi is a leading youth organizer for Mr. Baradei's. This would be um, uh, Al-Baradei, who uh, obviously the former head of the uh, UN Atomic Agency. Uh, His mother, a former activist who served six months in prison for her role leading protests during the bread riots in 1977, uh, lives in a middle-class neighborhood of Aguza on the west bank of the Nile. Those present included representatives from six youth movements connected to opposition political parties, groups advocating labor rights and the Muslim Brotherhood. We had heard Ghanim said that the, the Muslim Brotherhood wasn't totally into it, but they said if our youth want to do it, they can do it. <laughs> they chose 20 protest sites usually connected to mosques in densely populated working-class neighborhoods around Cairo. They hoped that such a large number of scattered rallies would strain security forces, draw larger numbers, and increase the likelihood some protesters would be able to break out and link up in Tahir Square. The group publicly called for protests at, at those sites for January 25th. They, so they did this publicly, a national holiday celebrating the country's wildly reviled police force. They announced the sites of the demonstrations on the internet and called for protests to begin at each one after prayers at about 2 p.m. But there was a 21st site that no one knew about. And to maintain that secrecy, the activists weren't the only ones calling for protests on that day. Other uh uh, sorry. Other influential groups rallied their resources to the cause. The Facebook page for Khalid Said, the young man beaten to death by police in Alexandria, had emerged a month earlier as a online gathering place. So there was at least these 20 protests, others being called for by uh, other uh, random uh, sporadic groups, and a 21st lo- uh, location that was kept totally secret. For the final three days before the protests, Mr. Kamal, one of the uh, leaders, and his fellow plotters say they slept away from home, fearing police would come and arrest them in the middle of the night, worrying their cell phones would be monitored. They used those of family members or friends. They sent small teams to do reconnaissance on the 21st site. It was the Bulak al-Dacor neighborhood's Hayis sweet shop whose storefront and tiled sidewalk plaza, meant to accommodate outdoor tables in wa- uh, warmer months, would make an easy-to-find rallying point in an otherwise tangled neighborhood no different from countless others around the city. The plotters said they knew the demonstration's success would depend on the pr- participation of ordinary Egyptians and working-class districts like this one, where the Internet and Facebook aren't as wildly widely used. They distributed flyers around the city in the days leading up to the demonstration, concentrating a- efforts on Baluk al-Dakur. Uh, so in other words, they had 20 locations that were not near this place, but they put flyers around this place announcing those other locations. In the days leading up to the demonstration, organizers sent small teams of plotters to walk the protest routes at various various speeds to synchronize how separate protests would link up. On January 25th, security forces predictably deployed by the by the, the thousands at each of the announced demonstration sites. So they had thousands of cops at these different uh, 20 sites. Meanwhile, four field commanders chosen from the organizers committee began dispatching activists in cells of 10. To boost secrecy, only one person per cell knew their destination. In these small groups, the protesters advanced toward the Hai's sweet shop massing into a crowd of 300 demonstrators free from police control. The lack of security then prompted neighborhood residents to stream by the hundreds out of the neighborhood's cramped alleyways, swelling the crowds into the the thousands. This, according to Sweet Shop employees, saw this thing just all of a sudden grow at 115 these thousands of people began marching toward downtown cairo by the time police redeployed a small contingent to block their path the protesters ranks had grown enough to easily overpower them the other marches organized at moss around the city failed to reach Tahrir square these are the other twenty their efforts foiled by riot police cordons the Bulak Darcor marchers the only group to reach their objective occupied higher square for several hours until after midnight When a police attack demonstrators with tear gas and rubber bullets. This is the first night, if you saw any of the footage, where people started attacking these police vans and tried to push one into the Nile River. It was the first time Egyptians had seen such a demonstration in their streets, and it provided a spark, credit with emboldening tens of thousands of people to come out to protest the following Friday. Uh, And there were protests in Sahir Square, uh, the days there, but it wasn't until the Friday uh, that they, they just swelled.
10: beginning. The events in Egypt of the past few weeks have raised more questions than answers. And while things seem in a state of flux, some things are clear among them. One, revolutions don't just change rulers, but systems. Two, revolutions designed to gain democracy cannot lead to military rule, for the two are ever in conflict. And three, the Egyptian struggle is at its beginning, not its end. The force resignation of Hosni Mubarak from the reins of power was accomplished by a convergence of forces: the demonstrations in Cairo, Alexandria, and throughout the nation, pressure from business interests who lost billions from empty tourism buses, and from anxious elements in the military who saw the potential of greater and greater chaos and perhaps loss of power. Mubarak didn't go easily or willingly, and his choice of Omar Suleiman as his number 2 would have been at any other time considered a masterstroke, for Suleiman's primary distinction was his expertise in torture. This was designed to send a ripple of fear and dread throughout Tahrir Square. Surprisingly, it had the opposite effect. It spurred new resistance and hastened his departure. But power ill rests in the hands of military, as the Tunisian and Egyptian experiences illustrate. Both Ben Ali and Mubarak were military men who depended on force to preserve their power and to control dissidents. In Tunisia, Ben Ali bore both titles, President and General. Mubarak was a fighter pilot, thus their instincts were to fight, not reason. The eruption in Egypt had its origin in the desperation of Mohammed Abu Azizi of Tunisia, who after repeated tries for justice from an unresponsive and corrupt regime, set himself aflame. Abu Azizi was a 26-year-old man who earned a PhD, couldn't find a job, worked as a fruit vendor, and had his wares illegally seized by police. The fire he lit took his life but inspired millions of Tunisians, who in turn sparked millions of Egyptians to rebel. Who knows how far these fires will rage? Egypt may be on a long road to awaken from its slumber, but this is the road's beginning. Not its end. From Death Row, this is Mumia Abu Jamal.
0: Dollars a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com.
7: You know, this was one of those days that you index alongside other days in history that were this big. Uh, In our newsroom here at 30 Rock, the shelf that this day goes on is labeled the Brokaw shelf.
11: A historic moment tonight. The Berlin Wall can no longer contain the East German people. Thousands pouring across at the Bornholmer Bridge. NBC Nightly News with Tom Brokaw. Tonight, from West Berlin. Live from the Berlin Wall on the most historic night in this wall's history. What you see behind me is a celebration of this new policy announced today by the East German government that now, for the first time since the wall was erected in 1961, people will be able to move through freely.
7: That was November 9th, 1989, the fall of the Berlin Wall in East Germany. Our our Brokaw shelf in our newsroom is reserved for tape of big historic moments just like that, moments of world change. Uh, Frankly, moments of revolution.
11: In the Philippines, jubilation. Marcos is gone, and the people reclaim their palace.
10: NBC Nightly News with Tom Brokaw.
11: Good evening. Tonight from Washington, a city that had a major role in those astonishing developments in the Philippines. President Ferdinand Marcos, who vowed to fight to the last drop of blood, has fled his country tonight. He has flown to Guam. The end of an era. Indonesia's president finally steps down. A new leader. But will anything change?
3: Victory. Three decades of absolute power surrendered in three minutes. Asia's longest serving leader, President Suharto, bows to pressure and steps down, asking for forgiveness. A nation responsible for his downfall, cheers. A spontaneous outburst at the parliament, now home to an occupation army of students.
11: It is a world turned upside down. While China's communist rulers were brutally cracking down on democracy, Poland's communist leaders today were accepting a form of democracy. The results of parliamentary elections and admitting that solidarity was the big winner. A revolution is underway in Romania tonight. Ceaușescu is on the run, but the battle is not yet won. They chanted, Ceaușescu is no more. They had waited 24 years for this.
1: In the final hours of the Ceaușescu regime, the soldiers sided with the people and turned their guns on the presidential palace. After a helicopter flew the dictator and his wife away, the mob stormed his office
11: and tossed his belongings to the crowd below. A historic day in South Africa. Voting by all races begins under heavy security. In South Africa, this was a day that many thought would never come. The beginning of a true democracy. All races voting in an election that ends 300 years of white oppression.
7: The Philippines, Indonesia, Poland, Romania, South Africa, those are just the ones we keep on our brokaw shelf. There's also the Rose Revolution in the Republic of Georgia in 2003. The Orange Revolution in Ukraine one year later in 2004. The Tulip Revolution in Kyrgyzstan one year after that in 2005. Last month, last month there was Tunisia The successful toppling of Tunisia's dictator happened on January 14th, and within a week and a half, the word Tunisia was the rallying cry for what just happened in Egypt, in the largest Arab country in the world.
10: This is an NBC News special report, Revolution in Egypt. Here's Brian Williams. Good day from New York. If you've been following
11: the news throughout this day, then you know the news that the people of Egypt have toppled their government. Their leader, Hosni Mubarak, has left power and left Cairo. This is the statement they have been waiting for. Not that he's in Egypt, not that he
1: is in uh, Sharm el Sheikh, but that he is stepping down. Listen to that crowd. That's
8: what they've been waiting for. Hosni Mubarak has gone. says it all, after 18 days, President Hosni Mubarak has resigned. Now they are standing on the tanks, people here cheering cheering the army, saying hand in hand, the people
1: and the army are together. And that scene, I think, will become one of the more iconic images of Egyptians on a a weapon of war that they are now using as a symbol of their new freedom. This is our today.
9: this, this is the revolution, of, of guy people. It's it's our, our Facebook guy.
2: Egypt will
11: be rebuilt with you. And that is a theme we are hearing over and over. This again, one of the cheers that has been
8: iconic throughout all of this. The army and the people, hand in hand. And today, the army is stepping in to join with the people,
1: and now we'll be taking charge to hand over this position.
7: Before Tunisia overthrew its dictator last month, no country in the modern Arab world had ever before seen a peaceful uprising overthrow a government. It had never happened before. It had never happened before. It happened last month, and now it happened twice. Will it happen somewhere else next? Nobody knows. But the reaction and the celebration around the world today was stunning. In Amman, Jordan, thousands gathered near the Egyptian embassy to celebrate, dancing and cheering and shouting congratulations in Arabic to Egypt. In Beirut, Lebanon, fireworks broke out to celebrate the news out of Egypt, along with more scenes of dancing and cheering in the streets. In Gaza, the sound of car horns honking, ringing through the city. Palestinians took to the streets, firing guns in the air to celebrate. As Egyptians gathered to celebrate in Tahrir Square in Cairo, thousands took to the streets in Yemen's capital city of Sana'a. Demonstrators chanted, yesterday Tunisia, today Egypt, and tomorrow Yemenis will break their chains. Thousands reportedly turned out to celebrate in Doha, Qatar as well. When we compare what happened today in the Middle East to the Berlin Wall falling, there's something really specifically true about that comparison that is worth remembering. When the Berlin Wall fell, it was 1989. We sometimes shorthand that as the fall of the Soviet Union. But that did not happen for a couple more years. While the Berlin Wall was coming down, anyone who says they knew what would follow, they knew what it meant, they knew what would happen next, is lying.
11: What this will all mean for the political future of Germany is very difficult to determine here tonight. But clearly, there is a new spirit in Europe and there is a new spirit in East Germany. Whether or not the Communist Party will survive this bold and daring and indeed desperate move, we cannot say.
7: 22 years later, 2,000 miles away in Cairo, same thing, we cannot say. We know this is a big deal. We call this a Berlin Wall moment because we can see that new spirit that Tom Brokaw was talking about in Berlin, we can see that in Cairo today too. But what happens next? What does this cause? We don't know, but we do know that in some sense today is day one of a different world. And change is hard. And the reason countries bend over backwards and violate all their principles and lie to themselves to maintain stability above all else is because stability is the devil you know and change is the devil you don't. Unstable is a synonym for dangerous. We think of the Berlin Wall falling as all good change, yet a generation down the road, post-Soviet Russia, is one of the most corrupt nations in the world, ranked worse than Haiti, ranked worse than Zimbabwe, ranked worse than Pakistan sudden events with far-reaching consequences are as worrying as they are inspiring on some days but on days like today the inspired part of us beats back the worried part just for this moment because things like this days like this remind us that not everything is foretold that not every fate is sealed that no trajectory is permanent that surprises happen black swans, golden tickets, whatever you wanna call it. Days like this, days like this go on the brokaw shelf. Days like this remind us that we're alive and we are lucky to be alive to see these days. This is a big one, big day.
3: one final note for you tonight. As you see the history unfold before your very eyes, I want you to keep one thing in mind. I don't know if this is a win for the American government. They may have been early or late to the party depending on where you stand. They may have been overly diplomatic or not diplomatic enough depending on where you stand. Our short-term interests might be furthered or endangered. But that's not what I'm talking about tonight. What happened today was a win for America. The idea of America. The idea that men and women are endowed with certain inalienable rights. That this is not the privilege of one country, race, or religion. That the idea of freedom is universal. At our core, we should always be for democracy and the rights of man. So tonight, it is about Egypt, it is their celebration, but we all rejoice. A simple but courageous idea that men like Jefferson, Madison, and Washington started has borne fruit in the middle east hundreds of years later such was the strength of those principles i'm originally from turkey but i call myself an american because these are the ideas i came here for this is why i chose to be an american this is why i choose to call men like john adams and benjamin franklin my founding fathers how proud would thomas Paine, who built our revolution with his pamphlets have been of the youth of egypt who organized and spread their ideas online and stood up to tyranny in the streets. So tonight, I believe our founding fathers are smiling down on the sons of freedom in Egypt on a revolution well done.
7: Hi, Jay. I'm Kim from Goshen, Indiana. At 51, I'm probably older than most of your fan base, but your show is exactly what I've been looking for. The only things I use iTunes for are politics, current event stories, and British comedy. When I typed left-leaning politics into the iTunes store search, they gave me you. The two podcasts I gnaw at the bit for are The Bugle and yours. Thank you for that. As soon as I'm able to, I'll donate to your podcast. In the meantime, I'm telling everyone who listened to me to listen to you. Goodbye. Thank you.
6: My name is Thomas. I'm from Akron, Ohio. And, you know, I'm a big fan, but I think that maybe you should possibly consider doing a show on feminism slash misogyny. I've been kind of like reading up on it for the past few years and like, it's just like, I, I mean, you're, you're leftist and progressive and I think that this is an issue that you never covered. And I think we need to talk about actual real feminism, which is a really difficult uh, topic to cover. Uh, a couple of months ago, Harper's had a, a long-form article about feminism, and it's all bad, but I mean, it's just like, I I see things where women are treated poorly, and it just... I don't know. I think that you're you're a smart guy. I you can put together a good hour about different feminist things. I mean, like, well, start with uh, the double X podcast on slate.com and then move from there. Maybe I don't know, but uh, again, you know, I just like I, I I just want a lot of people to hear this. So that's what I'm suggesting it, but, again, huge fan, I can't support you because I'm actually on food stamps right now, but, uh, yeah, you're, you're a star, man, yeah, don't forget that, bye.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. I think we can all agree easily that Thomas from Akron, Ohio uh, wins the prize for the most relaxed voicemailer we've had uh, uh, up to this point. So that was really exciting uh, to, to hear from him. Regarding the content of his message, I couldn't possibly agree more. I definitely need to do a show on feminism. He is correct in saying that I've never done an episode on feminism. That is true. Uh, and uh, and it's, it's shameful. In fact, uh, so a few months ago, I received an email from a female listener saying basically the same thing. Hey, you should do a show on feminism. And I was embarrassed at the time that that had literally never occurred to me and the only excuse that i can come up with for having not thought to do a show on feminism is that i don't hear anything about it i listen to several dozen shows and you know regularly and uh the the topic of feminism just simply doesn't come up as much as uh you know i think most of us would agree that it should and so um So since it never came up, it didn't occur to me to start collecting the clips because they were so incredibly few and far between. So I received that email back in November. I wrote back to that person saying, you know, your one email was all it took. I've created a category for feminism. I'm gonna start uh, collecting clips now. And when I have enough, I'll make a show. But don't hold your breath. It may be a little while. So that was about four months ago. And I'm in the neighborhood of halfway there. I have some, I don't know, like 28 minutes of material on feminism, and uh, you know, so we'll see. It, it eventually there will be a show on feminism. The problem is, no one ever talks about it. As as Thomas mentioned, there are probably no, no, no. There are definitely shows out there that focus in like a laser beam on on feminism, and you know, of course, there are podcasts of all stripes that focus in like a laser beam on every issue you can imagine. Uh, I just don't have time to consume those shows. So if you out there do consume those shows, you find some great stuff that you think uh, would fit in with this show. Please by all means send it in to me and I will see what I can do about putting that episode together. In the meantime uh, let me uh, let me tide you over with at least one one clip from the onion that would have probably been in that uh, feminist show, but I'll play it for you now and I, I have others to, to go along with it but uh, this will at least give you a little taste of what you'll be in for uh, when a feminism show uh, eventually comes into existence.
11: A new study shows broads are making progress. It's the Onion Radio News. I'm Doyle Redland. A new study reveals that broads have made progress in the workplace over the last ten years. They're earning more and are twice as likely to be in positions of upper management. Stan Cullums, director of the Institute for Broad Research. Old prejudices die very slowly. I mean, a lot of the tomatoes I know find the job market friendlier than ever, but... We still have a long way to go, I'm afraid. While the study shows some advancement, Cullums is quick to point out that only two of America's top 500 corporations are headed by broads. Doyle Redlin for the Onion Radio News. So that's
0: going to do it for today. I just want to thank a couple of members before I go. Tyler M signed up for a leftist uh, monthly membership back on February 21st of last year and has stuck with the show ever since then. So huge thanks to Tyler for sticking with the show. And Tom L signed up uh, for for a one year membership back on July 25th, a socialist level membership. So uh, definitely huge thanks to Tom for going above and beyond. Uh, So Tyler, Tom, all the members and donors who keep the show afloat. I absolutely couldn't do it without you guys. Appreciate it to the ends of the earth. And uh, don't forget that everyone, of course, can support the show in a huge variety of ways that don't cost any money at all. Just tell all your friends and neighbors about it. If you have a Twitter account, you can donate tweets to the show to help me spread the word uh, You know, through you to your followers. Uh, details about that are at DonateYourAccount.com BestOfTheLeft. Of course, that's linked up on BestOfTheLeft.com itself. Just to stay tuned into the show itself, you can, of course, uh, follow or like the show on Twitter and Facebook, respectively. To get details about the show, including links to sources and music used in this and every episode, all of that information is always listed in the show notes on the blog. So, coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 10 times a month. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com.
7: It's now
9: black and white Cause you took apart a picture That wasn't right Pitch burning On a shining sheet The only maker That you want to meet A dying man In a living room Who shadow bases The floor Who'll take you out
7: i